If you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. For the last couple of weeks, uh, we've just been talking about uh, the kingdom of God. And all throughout the New Testament, in uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, numerous times, Jesus, as he is going from town to town, uh, he's teaching on the kingdom of God. And he's saying the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like this, and then he shares a story. Um, And all throughout, we see glimpses of the kingdom of God. And as a church, as we think about uh, what is the vision of Restoration Church, um, it really isn't uh, that question that we need to to, to get answered. The question is, is really, what is the vision of the kingdom of God? Because that is the vision of our life. What is the vision of the kingdom of God? What does God want to do here on earth? And what is our role in that? See, the vision of the kingdom of God is that, that God has constantly been inviting people into his great banquet feast, into a relationship with him. The king is, is lavishly set a table uh, for all of us and inviting us into that relationship. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago. But then we also uh, saw that this, this king wants uh, people to come to the wedding feast, wants his kids to come to the wedding feast and, and have no excuses in their lives, nothing holding them back. See, the kingdom culture is, is one of all in, where people are surrendering all, giving all to Jesus. Last week, I, I mentioned the, the parable in Matthew 13, where Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a treasure in a field. And when he found the treasure in the field, he went back to his house, and with great joy, he sold everything so that he could have the treasure. I want us to be a people that are filled with great joy, that are giving up everything, not um, in a way like, oh, we got to give up this stuff that we love. No, giving it up in great joy because we found something, someone of greater value, and that's the King, King Jesus. And so that is what we're pursuing. That is what we're hungry for. We're hungry for the kingdom of God to come crashing into our lives. And I remember as a kid in uh, middle school, when I would start to, to read this book, when I start to read Scripture, and I would make my way through the Gospels and through uh, the New Testament, there was an ache that was burning inside of my soul at the time. And, and something that I didn't realize until later, but this ache and this burning in my soul was uh, I would read these stories, I would read things that Jesus would do, I would read interactions that He would have with people, and uh, the thing that I was longing for uh, was, was encapsulated in this question. Does this still happen today? Does the, do miracles still happen? Does God still move in powerful ways today? Because I grew up in a tradition that, that loved this book, that studied this book, but frankly, if I can be honest about that tradition, uh, it was a tradition that really didn't expect this book to come alive. It was like, okay, this, these are great things to, to read and to study, but for it to actually happen in day-to-day life, there wasn't a lot of expectation in their heart for that. And even a gathering like this, I would come to church, I would sit uh, around like this area of my parents' church, and I would sit there and we'd sing a song and I'd listen to somebody and then I would leave, and there was really no to little expectation for God to come in powerful ways. And all along, there was a a hunger in my heart to see more, to see uh, the the book of Acts lived out in day-to-day life, to see my life actually fit in Scripture, to to see like, wow, like I'm I'm living radically for Jesus. I'm I'm seeing people come into relationship with Jesus. I'm seeing uh, the sick healed. I'm seeing those who don't know Jesus come into a relationship with Jesus. And frankly, since middle school and then into college, um, as I have had like on my heart just this journey of wanting to see this book come alive, I have seen things happen. I remember years ago, and I told Janine I was going to share this story, 
Janine, who's in the back with her husband John, came and shared at a youth group uh, event that I was at. Um, I was leading a youth group on the north side of Holland, and she came and shared her testimony, how Jesus had, had totally transformed her life. And it was a nice Sunday evening. It was in the basement of this old uh, church building. And uh, I was expecting, okay, like Janine's going to come in and share and do a great job. And people are going to be encouraged. And they're going to go uh, throughout the rest of their, uh, their weeks. And these kids are going to go back to school. And I'll never forget what happened. Janine shared. And these two guys, two middle school boys, so you know that this is a move of God. Two middle school boys came up to me named Howie and Ross and tears in their eyes, just weeping. And they responded this way. They're like, I want a relationship with God like she has a relationship with God. I mean, that blew me away. Like all of a sudden, Scripture was coming to life. Like people were encountering Jesus, middle school boys encountering Jesus. I remember times when I would, would pray for somebody, uh, they would come up and they, would, like, they were sick or whatever, and I, I, I believe that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I'm like, well, if Jesus healed back then, he can heal today, and I would pray for somebody. And uh, I remember just a handful of times that I've, I've, I've had the joy of seeing this, where somebody was healed in a dramatic way, in a powerful way. Like, I remember even my life, like, um, there was a time when uh, I lost all hearing in my left ear. Like, actually, a doctor said, like, there's no more hearing in my left ear. And it made times like this, spaces like this, absolutely miserable because of all the noise was coming in one ear, and it was just like, oh, it just was all craziness. And so I would have, like, my kids pray for my ear, other people's pray for my ear. Um, I remember someone sticking their finger in my ear, like, and just praying, you know, that the Lord would open up hearing in my ear. And then a number of weeks later, I went back to the doctor, and he goes, there's all that you're hearing is restored in your ear. Like, and I've seen it happen in other people's lives. I've seen God move in powerful ways. And to be honest, like, that is, is what is longing in my heart. The same passion that I had as a middle school boy, I have today even stronger. It's like, I desperately want to see the kingdom of God advance in our world today. And I actually see it all amongst you who are here today. There's a longing in our heart to see the kingdom of God come crashing into heaven, come crashing into earth. I remember a couple months ago, the Lord like really stirred this in my heart. I was talking to a friend um, who works in the church in this area in West Michigan, and he was all stressed about life. And I was talking to him on the phone as, you know, fall is approaching. You know, summer's in Michigan, everybody chills, and then all of a sudden fall hits, and they're like, what are we doing? You know, there's like some expectation. And he was all stressed and, and worried and anxious. And I just remember asking him, like, do you think it's possible that we can actually live out the words of Jesus in Matthew 6. Matthew 6, where Jesus says, don't be anxious about anything. Don't worry. Just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and everything will be added to it. I said, do you think it's actually possible? And he goes, probably, but not if you're working in the church. And I was like, sad. I was saddened by that. But then he went on to say, like, I don't know if that's actually possible. And I'm like, it's the words of Jesus. Like, we should not be walking around as people, as his followers, all anxious and worried, but instead we should do what he tells us to do, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And after that conversation, I made it a point to say, God, I'm not going to be anxious. I'm not going to be worried. I'm going to just seek first your kingdom in every moment of the day in just a gathering like this. I'm not going to be worried about all that needs to happen. I'm just going to seek first your kingdom. 
And like many of you, I have adult, an adult child. I have a college-age child. I have a kid in middle school and a kid in high school. There's a lot to be anxious about. And over the last number of months, I have found myself sleeping like a baby at night, not anxious, not worried. And I'm like, God, you are so faithful. See, as followers of Jesus, as people who have said yes to Jesus, our lives should look differently than the world because we are part of a different kingdom, a kingdom not of this world, but a kingdom of heaven. And just as Jesus said to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, that should be evident in our life. See, Christianity is not all about just adding the little niceties to our life and, and cleaning up like this, this you know, version of our lives. No, it is an all-in type of lifestyle where we completely surrender to the King of Kings and Jesus. And so this morning, I want to look at what is our identity as a follower of Jesus? How does the Lord look at us? What is this kingdom identity that we should be walking around with here in West Michigan? And I want to look at uh, Matthew 3, and I want to read just a couple verses from Matthew 3 at the very beginning, and then hop over to Jesus' baptism uh, in the middle of Matthew 3. It says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And this is what he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist, who was preaching in the wilderness, and, and, and he's a crazy man wearing uh, uh, crazy clothes and eating crazy food, he came onto the scene and he would say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now just remember that phrase. Turn over one page to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. This is now Jesus. He has uh, been baptized. We'll get back to that. He's been tempted out in the wilderness. And then he is going off and preaching. And he says this, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Saying the same thing that John the Baptist said. Now turn over a couple more pages to Matthew chapter 10, verse 7. Jesus is sending out the 12 disciples to go and to preach and to, to go out into the whole area and talk about, uh, about Jesus. In verse 7, it says this, Proclaim as you go, Jesus says to his disciples, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, now give without pay. But re- the message is the kingdom of heaven is is at hand. The kingdom of heaven, the reign and rule of God is at hand. And it's not just at hand, and that's a phrase that like, we might not say a whole lot, but the kingdom of God, where uh, the reign and the rule of Jesus is, is not just at hand, but it has come close. Or another way, like a, a picture of this word is, is actually for one thing to be joined to the next. The kingdom of God, the reign and rule of God, everything that we see about in Scripture is, is come close, is joined to us. God has moved towards us. Heaven has broken into earth in a new and dramatic way in the coming of Jesus. And the thing that I have come to realize in my life with this verse, the kingdom of heaven is near, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is this, is that the kingdom of God, God's kingly reign, the reign and rule of Jesus is a present reality. Is a present reality. His rule and reign breaks into our world today. The kingdom of heaven is not 
far off, is not out there somewhere like some distant uh, place. No, the kingdom of God has come close, has broken in. You know, we read uh, this truth in, in Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like what we see in Scripture, His kingly reign and rule has come to earth. It's a present reality. The thing that we have to wrestle with, though, is do we believe it? Do we actually believe that in the depths of our heart, that, that God's reign and rule is present here amongst us today? That the kingdom is breaking in. I just think about the ways that the kingdom has broken in, ways that we have seen uh, lives transformed. Last week, a number of uh, words were shared in this gathering. A number of uh, people touched by a word that was shared. This week, I was in the midst of uh, a group, and we were having a conversation about uh, the type of church that, uh, that God wants um, restoration to be. And we were having this conversation about going to the blind, the lame, the crippled, the beggar, and like being a, a place that is messy. And all of a sudden, all of our hearts were stirring inside of us. There was a, um, an aliveness. I don't think that's in a word, but uh, there was a, we were alive in our spirit. I'm like, the kingdom of heaven was crashing into that room as we were having conversations. I know many in this, in this space has been so encouraged by one another, comforted by one another as you go through different trials in life. That's the kingdom of heaven come crashing into our lives. The kingdom of God is a present reality. It breaks into our lives today. That is what John the Baptist said. That's what Jesus said. That was, is what the disciples were told to go and say. The kingdom of heaven has come to earth. Jesus even taught us to pray that way. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That needs to be our prayer, our desire, that we would see heaven come invading earth. And if that is how we were taught to pray, don't you think that God is going to answer that prayer by bringing heaven to earth? That should be the longing of our heart, the message that we proclaim. The kingdom of heaven is come near. But here's another thing that I've realized. The fullness of the kingdom of God is a future reality. I shared up here that we've seen people pass away. We've talked about death. We've walked with people who have lost loved ones, young and old. And we're like, okay, if the kingdom of heaven is, is here, is at hand, why does that happen? Why does tragedy take place? Why is there death? Why are there tears? Why is there brokenness in the world? And it's because the kingdom of heaven hasn't fully come yet. See, because Revelation 21, there's a time coming when Jesus will return, when we will see him face to face. Right now, we just see him in part, but we will see him face to face, and he will wipe the tears from our eyes. There will be no more sun, sunshine because Jesus, his light, his, will, his radiance will fill up the entire universe. There will be a time when we see him face to face, and the kingdom of, of God is a future reality, something that we hunger and long for. And so that is, that is true. Like this is, we're as partakers of the kingdom of heaven, we're living in it today, but we're also looking forward to it in the future. But what is our identity in that kingdom? How are we supposed to view ourselves as people who are in the kingdom? Look at uh, Matthew 3, and uh, this is the story of Jesus' baptism. Matthew 3 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, to John to be baptized by him. 
Remember, John was baptizing just a ton of people. People, were, multitudes were going out uh, to see John, and he was inviting them to repent and be baptized, uh, an actual washing away of their sins, and he actually had some harsh words for the religious. Uh, he wouldn't baptize them because he's like, you just want to be baptized, but you don't want to change your life. Like, you need to, to live your life and change your life and start living uh, in, a, in a different way. And so, uh, the, John was just the talk of the town, and, and Jesus comes out to be baptized by him. And it says, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, when he went into the water and came back out, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I mean, do you get that picture? John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. He comes out of the water. And all of a sudden, a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father, says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then the Spirit falls and doesn't just fall on Jesus and then leave, but falls and remain. And there we see uh, the full picture of the Trinity. But listen to the words of the Father to Jesus. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And this has always blown me away because this was before Jesus did one miracle, before he taught one lesson, before he delivered one person. And the Father looks at the Son and says, I love you. I'm so pleased with you. This is life-changing. This must be life-changing for us as followers of Jesus, as kingdom people. This has to be our identity. Our identity needs to be firmly rooted on this truth that we are loved by the Father, not because of anything that we've done, but all because of what has been done for us through His Son, Jesus. Flip over to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, turn to the right a couple books, and then we'll talk about what this means for us. This is what happens as we put our faith in Jesus. Starting in verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the element, elementary principles of the world. And here's the gospel. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born of, under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is what happens as we put our faith in Jesus. We move from being a slave to being a son. We move from being uh, lost without a home to having a home in God. We move from being far off and distant to having this close relationship with our Father who is in heaven so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. Like that is quite the transformation that happens. We move from a spirit of, of slavery to a spirit of sonship. This is what happens. And so when the Father sees you and I, if we put our faith in Jesus... He sees not you or I, he sees his son. And so when he looks at your life and when he looks at my life, he says, this is my son or this is my daughter with whom I am well pleased. I mean, this should blow us away. 
This should blow us away that we have been reconciled to God, that we are accepted, that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we are um, uh, just so dearly loved because of all that Jesus has done for us. You know, I look at our lives and I look at um, people in just how they're living. There is a longing for identity. There's a longing to uh, find one's identity. There's a longing to be um, in every culture. I think around the world, there's a longing to, be, uh, to have a, a sense of self-worth, to be uh, valued. There's a longing to be a part of a, a community, to know where you belong. Like There is this search for identity, and, and for a number of years, this identity came to people from the outside as people would look at a person and say, oh yeah, you're like this, or you're like that, or, or they would you know, highlight things in a person's life. Recently, over the last number of years, uh, more of that has come from within, and people say like, well, I feel I am this, I feel like I am that, like I, they're trying to find their identity from within. But in re- each situation, people are trying to uh, strive for their identity, trying to achieve their identity, using people to, to validate what they may feel inside. But the truth about the gospel is that our identity is received, not achieved. Our identity is received and not achieved. John uh, chapter 1 says this, and this is so powerful. It says, but to all who did receive him, who received Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, born not of blood or the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. We receive our identity, and our identity comes through the, the Father, through the Son, and we're accepted and we're loved. And that is this, like every part of the world there is this constant striving for acceptance, striving for identity. But the beauty is that your identity in Christ is given, it is not achieved, it is received, not achieved. But this identity comes from who you belong to. And so the question that I have for all of us is, is who do we belong to? If our identity comes from who we belong to, who do we belong to? And so often we're chasing after things of this world, but, but have you truly put your faith in G- Jesus? Do you to belong to the Father through Jesus? And this is where actually baptism comes in and is a powerful thing. In my opinion, like one of the first steps that we need to take as a follower of Jesus is to get baptized. And is this, baptism is this public declaration saying, I belong to Jesus. And when I belong to Jesus, the old is gone and the new has come. See, in the, the Jewish culture, if one wanted to become Jewish, they would uh, learn a bunch of things about the Jewish tradition. They would memorize the first five books of the Bible. They would go through uh, some different processes in their lives to become Jewish. But the very last thing that they would do is, is undergo a washing, to be completely immersed in water and then to be brought back up. And when that happened, they would become Jewish. They would be identified as a Jewish person. But baptism, when it comes to following Jesus, you think about it, when we put our life underwater, the old is gone, we put our old life to death, we are raised anew and we are saying we belong to God through Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, if you have never made that public declaration to be baptized uh, through, through baptism, uh, through water, I encourage you to do that. Rick has said that Jennifer someone that we've been walking with is going to get baptized here in the next little bit out at Lake Michigan. And I believe it's still fairly warm. Man, if the Lord is, is pricking on your hearts to go public and to make a public declaration through baptism, I encourage you to do that. 
don't wait. Often this is, this is our first step in following Jesus. Believe and be baptized by saying you belong to God. Another thing that changes is in our identity in realizing that our, when our identity is in Christ, that uh, our identity affects how we relate to one another. Our identity in Christ, our kingdom identity, affects how we relate to one another as a church. We're not just a church where we come and we sit and we go through uh, just a couple things and then go on our way. No, we are family. We are brothers and sisters. And that's why I think it's absolutely beautiful the way that we care for one another, the way that we encourage one another. We cannot go through life alone. We need one another. As a kingdom person, we recognize that we're not living our lives by ourselves, but that we relate to each other. We belong to each other. And this, also our identity, should fuel our activity. One of the things that I've seen in West Michigan is actually the reverse of this. People think the more that they do results in the more that they're loved by God. But actually, the opposite is true. When we come to grips with the fact that we are loved by God, it should fuel everyday life. It should make us realize that, that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to the Lord, that we're not living for ourselves, but that we're living wholeheartedly for Him. Our identity as a, as a son or a daughter of God changes everything about our lives. And this is something that we have to fight for, something that we have to protect, because your identity in Christ, who you belong to and whose you are, is going to be attacked on a, on a daily basis. It's going to be attacked all the time. Jesus was attacked for it. He goes, and he goes into the desert, and he's tempted there. And what is he attempted by? It's all around identity. Who do you belong to? Whose are you? And I think in the church today, too often we have this view of ourselves as just a, a slave or a servant instead of a son or a daughter. And when we start viewing ourselves as a son and daughter because of the blood of Jesus, it changes everything. I want us to, to stand right now, and I want to just share as Joel comes up, and we're going to sing this song, No Longer Slaves. This transition is powerful because Jesus shares a story in Luke 15, and Luke 15 is a familiar story of the prodigal son where if you know the story, the, the son comes to his father and says, I want my inheritance and I'm going I'm to take it and I'm going to go and live. And he lives this, this wild and crazy life and, and, and pretty much says to the father, like, I wish that you were dead so that I could have your money. I just want your stuff. And the son uh, goes and he lives in a reckless way, but he comes to the end of himself. And he's like, ah, oh, just maybe if I, I go back to the father, I'll, I'll find grace. I'll find uh, kindness. I can, I can maybe be just like one of his hired people um, and just working on his farm. But you know the story that when the father sees this, the son, when he sees the son turn, he runs to the son. He picks up his garments and he runs towards the son. And he throws him a big party. But then there's another son that was complaining that this was going on. And the son, the other son, the older son who did not leave, did not take the inheritance, who had remained at the house, said this to his father. He said, I've been here the whole time. I've worked for you. I've served you. I've been a servant in your house. And then the father looks at him and says, oh, son, everything that I've had has been yours. My other son has come home. But in that statement, the, the older son he had a mis, 
understanding of who he was. See, he said, I've served you. I've served you. He looked at himself as a servant, as a slave instead of a son. And too often, people in the church today are looking at themselves as a servant. I got to do this activity instead of a son or a daughter that's loved. My prayer this morning is that all of us would have that, um, the reality, would know the reality of being a son or a daughter, that we are not a servant, that we're not a slave, but that we're dearly loved by the King of Kings who looks at us through his son Jesus and says, there's my son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. And so my prayer is that just in this, this spirit of this slavery would just be abolished and that we would have spirit of sonship and daughtership just fall on us this morning. And so, Father, I pray that that would happen. I ask, Lord, that that would happen, that we would have a clear understanding of who we are through your Son. And that this song that we're going to sing, this declaration that we're going to make, is more than just words on our lips, but that it seeps down deep into our souls. And that we live every single day knowing that we are dearly loved by you. That there's nothing that we can say or do that would make you love us more that we are just so loved through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name I pray. Amen.